Choir. First reading today is from the third chapter of Acts. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people, You Israelites, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, we had made this man walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our ancestors has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and rejected in the presence of Pilate, though he had decided to release him. But you rejected the holy and the righteous one and asked to have a murderer given to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And by faith in his name, his name itself has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given him this perfect health in the presence of all of you. And now, friends, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. In this way, God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets that the Messiah would suffer. Repent then, therefore, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. While they were talking about this, Jesus, oh, this is a different, this is is Luke. This is the text for our sermon today. This is Luke 24, starting at the 36th verse. Um, Jesus has been raised. Uh, He has appeared to his disciples in Emmaus. And they have run back to Jerusalem, a couple of miles, to find the disciples who were gathered in a locked room together to tell them that Jesus has been raised and they've seen him at the supper in Emmaus. And this is where it picks up. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And they were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you frightened and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is myself. Touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bone, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. And then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. 
And then from 1 John in the third chapter. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. And what we do know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him. For we will see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who commits sin is guilty of lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed to us to take away our sin to take away sins and in him there is no sin no one who abides in him sins no one who sins has either seen him or knows him little children let no one deceive you everyone who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous friends This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When my ex and I were in Chicago, we pastored a church together and we had, when we went, we had one vote against us when they voted to call us as pastors. One. We knew right away who it was. The little old man sitting in the back, he's got like this. He warmed up to us eventually. And part of the reason we, he warmed up to us was because I learned very quickly that he was a great fan of ghost stories, and particularly Chicago ghost stories, and he loved Chicago cemeteries. And so he would take me to various cemeteries in Chicago, and we would see the monuments, and we would see, we saw Al Capone's grave. We saw that there's a great um, monument in one of the cemeteries that looks like a specter of death, and supposedly if you stare long enough into its eyes, you'll see the way that you will die. There's a, there's, we saw this, the, the uh, gravesite of the little girl who was hit by lightning in the 1800s. Supposedly, if there's a lightning storm, the statue of her that's in that plexiglass box moves to other places in the cemetery. Aren't these great stories? I mean, these are great stories. As a storyteller, I love to hear the stories. And he would tell them with all the fervor there were to tell about all the things that these ghosts and these ghost stories and these cemeteries had to hold. And I love to just listen to him tell stories. It was great. But I'm looking at some of your faces and you're looking at me like I'm a little bit touched today. Would it surprise you to learn that 45% of Americans say they believe in ghosts? That 
that's a lot. I mean, that's like, look next to you and it's the person sitting beside you if it's not you. 45%. I read an article about this recently and one of the things that it said was that much of this has to do with a person's very desperate need to know that they can somehow still be in touch with their loved one after they pass. And that makes sense to me. In our grief, we do all kinds of things. In our grief, we want all kinds of things. Some have suggested that Jesus' followers who were in the room with doors locked, afraid of the Jews, having seen their leader killed in the most horrific way, simply were grieving so much that they were literally crazy. They were out of their heads with grief. It could be. Grief is absurd and obliterative all at the same time. There is an example of a woman whose husband died running on a treadmill. And they took him from the gym to the hospital, to the mortuary. And so she had to go and pick up his car. And when she went, she realized that his lunch was still in the front seat. And in her grief, all she could think about was, he won't have his lunch now. Well, he had passed. He didn't need his lunch. You know, we don't think right when we're, when we're grieving. My parents had this habit of walking everybody who, greet, who entered their house to the door and saying goodbye once they had been there. It was part of their ritual of hospitality. And when my stepmother died, my dad got up as people were leaving the house and he turned to my brother and he said, hey, where's your mother? She should be here. And then he realized what he said and he fell apart. Grief is absurd and obliterative all at the same time. It makes us do absurd and obliterative things. It makes us think in ways that don't always make sense. It is a way of us finding ways to cope. I remember being in the sixth grade in Mr. Phillips' social studies class. Now, Mr. Phillips is a perfectly fine teacher, but he wasn't all that a kind and compassionate guy. I mean, he never, I think, be known for being the most gentle of souls, but one of my classmates was talking about a dream she had where her grandmother, who had just passed, had come and sat on her bed and was talking to her, and they had a conversation that was very comforting to her. And she, he said, she said, it made me feel better to know that my grandmother was there with me. And he said to her, 
I'm sure it did make you feel, in very kind ways, I'm sure it did make you feel better. I'm sure she really was there with you. It was a way for her to cope with her grief. You know, saying to her, I believe you really did talk to your grandmother. I believe you really did see your grandmother. This text today is to say to us, hey, y'all, the disciples really did see Jesus. They might have been out of their minds with grief, but Jesus still appeared to them. One could say, for the sake of argument, that in their grief they saw a ghost. But I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't believe they saw a ghost. Clearly, Jesus' body came to them in some different form. It came through locked doors. The people at Emmaus didn't recognize him. Mary had to be told who he was in the garden when she first saw him. Something was different about his body than was usual, but he was still there with them, and he says to them to prove it. Touch me and see. I have bones and flesh. Ghosts don't need bones and flesh. There was a physical body there. And beyond that, he ate something. Ghosts don't need to eat. Silas is right. If a ghost ate something, it just goes... What do ghosts need to eat for? But he ate. And if they were going to make up a story in their grief about who was there, the detail they would not have added was that he ate a piece of broiled fish. See, beloved, here's the thing. We could think that Jesus was just a ghost. Somebody who wasn't real, who really didn't die, who really didn't raise from the dead, who really didn't ascend to heaven, who really doesn't do much for us now, by the way, if none of the other of those things are true. We could believe that Jesus, as Dominic, John Dominic Crossan says, only rose in the hearts of his people. That's a grief moment. We live now in a memorial to Jesus, if that's true. You know, I remember that Muhammad was a good person. So much so that he has followers still to this day. We could do that with Jesus. His memory could rise in our hearts. But that's not the story. 
Jesus was dead, crucified, dead, and buried. And three days he rose and appeared to all kinds of witnesses who saw his body, flesh, and bone, who saw him eat, not like a ghost, but like a human person. And who saw him, even to the end, recount his words and the scriptures to his disciples so that they would know who he was and how to follow and how to take his word into the world. This stuff matters. What we believe about Jesus matters. Who we say Jesus is matters because Jesus crucified, dead and buried and risen from the grave, ascended into heaven, can be with us still this day in his very presence when we need, when we're afraid, when we're depressed, when we're lonely, when we feel like there's nothing left at all for us. Jesus comes to us. In flesh and in blood. In spirit and in truth. In love. To teach us. His way. And his will. And to this we are witnesses. Thanks be to God. Amen.